Have a seat. Good morning. Um, let me just acknowledge it up front. My voice sounds stupid. I'm getting over a cold. I woke up and my voice was kind of scratchy like this. And I'm like, really, Jesus? He said, don't worry about it. It'll be fine. So um, just let's just ignore it together, if that's okay. Um, and I'll get, we'll get through this. It was way worse in the first service. I, I feel like I'm doing way better. But anyway. Hey, let me start today. I wanted to just take a second and tell you what we're trying to do here at Pulpit Rock. Um, it, it's really simple, but it's really important. And this is true about a community of faith, is we are kind of in this thing together, right? We all have a vested interest in this. It's going to become what we all make it together. And so you need to know what we're trying to do here at Pulpit Rock. It's really just three things that we're really focused on. The first is this. We believe that everyone's life should have a purpose, that our life should be about something bigger than ourselves, that we should be a part of something, making an impact, affecting the world. Don't we all kind of want that idea that our life would count for something? Well, what we believe is that we want that because God created us to want that. God created us with this need to join him in his work on the earth. And when Jesus came, he didn't just come to get us into heaven, but he came to redeem like literally everything ever. And so he's invited us into that work, and it's not just work for like pastors and missionaries, but it's for everyone who follows Jesus to step in and participate in God's redemptive work in the world. So one of the things we're trying to do here at Pulpit Rock is just change the whole world. Just that. Uh, we just want to change the whole world and overturn all the oppression everywhere for everyone always. Like, because we believe that our Heavenly Father is at work right now redeeming this place, and he's invited us into that. It's really important to us. I'm not going to talk about that today. Um, there's a second thing that we're about. The second thing that we're really focused on here is we believe this, that all of us need friendship. And it sounds maybe a little juvenile friendship, but this is true. We, we have this God-given aversion to loneliness. We were created for relationship. We were created for friendship. We may not like that. We may not want to need other people. But it's too bad. God made us that way, and we need other people. And so at Pulpit Rock, what we are trying to do is cultivate a certain type of friendship, friendship that we would say is real, where there's honesty, and there's transparency, and there's safety, and there's comfort. And the, the friendships that we have with other people, they're going to determine a lot about the course of our lives. So what we're trying to do here is to create friendships that are authentic and that are real and that we can lean into and receive support and encouragement from other people. And that's really important to us. And I'm also not going to talk about that today. Um, what I'm going to talk about today is this third thing that's really important to us. And it's just simply this. We want to be close to God. We want to be close to God. I want that. Don't you want that? We, if God exists, if we believe that, then don't we want to know him? We call this spiritual growth. We call this discipleship. We call this life transformation. There's all these like churchy words that we use to describe it, but it really is just kind of simple here. There's that we believe that God wants us to know him, and we want to be more aware of God in our lives. We want to be transformed into the people that he created us to be, the people that he, he thought of when he made us. We want to step into that together. We believe he loves us. He wants to know us. He's not angry at us. He's forgiven us. And there's always going to be something missing in the life of every human until they find themselves in this relationship with God. And so a lot of what we do here at Pope Rock is just designed to kind of help us lean into that, whether it's worship or teaching or whatever it is. It's trying to connect with this God who loves us so that we can grow and be close with him. 
That's what I want to talk about today. But before I do, let's put all three of these up on the screen together. Um, this is kind of what we're focused on. Purpose, supportive friendship, closeness with God. Now what this isn't, this is not like our new slogan. We're not going to put that on our sign. It's not our mission statement. What this is, honestly, this is just the stuff my heart longs for. And I believe every human is created in some ways similarly that we all long for some version of this stuff, if we're honest. And so we're trying to, as a community of faith, lean into that together and discover some of these things together. That's what we're about. If, if you ever want to talk about any of that stuff, one of my favorite things to do is talk about what God's doing here at Pulper Rock. So look me up. This is kind of where we're focused. I want to focus in on that last one, closeness with God. Here's what I suspect, even in a room with this many people in it, I bet few, if any, probably none of us feel as close to God as we would like to be. Like if I did a show of hands, I suspect no hand would go up and be like, yeah, I'm nailing it, close to God as I could ever be, right? Probably most of us feel like, gosh, I could really be a lot closer to God. I suspect if you're anything like me, you've tried a handful of approaches to get close to God. I was trying to count it earlier this week. I, I, I think I can say this safely. I have probably tried hundreds of different strategies over the course of my life to connect with God and to grow spiritually. And honestly, a lot of them like to mix results. Like not all of them have worked the way that I'd hoped they would. Um, I remember one time when I was much younger, I heard this like really famous pastor and he was talking about fasting as the pathway to spiritual transformation. And I looked at my life and I'm like, well, clearly I could be more transformed. So why don't I give this a whirl? So I'm going to try fasting now. And so I decided to do that. And it's uh, this concept where you go without food for a period of time to kind of focus on God. And so I did that. Do you want to know what the net effect of that was in my life? I was hungry. And honestly, I was probably a little grouchy. I was maybe hangry. Hangry is the technical word for it. But uh, I, I don't know that I got more spiritual. I might have gotten less spiritual as I tried fasting, honestly. And I don't want to discourage you from fasting. If fasting is really important to you, tell me about it. I'd, I'd love to learn. I'm just saying that for me, I did not experience any spiritual benefit that I could perceive. It did not work. Have you ever experienced that? Not with fasting necessarily, but with something you've tried. That you're like, this is the answer. And then it doesn't work the way that maybe you thought it would or the way that maybe somebody told you it was going to work. I've had that experience dozens of times. Um, I always, like when I experience that, I feel kind of shame. Maybe that tells you something about me. Like I'm like, well, I probably did it wrong. You know, and there's something wrong with me that fasting makes me angry and not spiritual. You know, I... It just, I, I kind of personalize that. If you've ever felt that disappointment, though, if you've ever felt like, I wish I could be closer to God, but I'm not sure that I know how, if you've ever tried something spiritually to grow and it just failed, it didn't work for you at all, then Jesus has a story for you today. Jesus is going to say something to us today that is so earth-shattering in its implications, it is going to cause us to totally rethink our entire spiritual life. He's going to give us uh, a little story called a parable, and in the parable, he's going to give us three reasons why people who know him don't grow at all, 
And he's going to give us one reason why people grow. It, it, it is the thing that determines everything about our spiritual growth. And it's so good. I'm not even going to wait till the end. I'm going to tell you right now, in case you're, my voice is just frustrating you, you can just get up and leave because this is the best part. Like this is the thing that has the potential to save you from years of frustration spiritually. Are you ready? I've really built it up, haven't I? It is this good. This is the thing. The softness of your heart will determine everything about your spiritual growth. The softness of your heart will determine everything about your spiritual growth. That's what Jesus is going to tell us today. And he's going to do it through this vehicle of a little easy to remember story called a parable. Look at Mark chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1. Mark writes this, again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake. While other people were along the shore at the water's edge, he taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, listen. So a few things to note about what Jesus is about to say here. There are three synoptic gospels. We call them synoptic gospels because they follow kind of a linear path through the narrative of Jesus' life. There's one gospel that doesn't do that. It's John. It's not linearly written. It jumps all around. But in the three synoptic gospels, there's a lot of overlap or stuff that each author decided to include. This is one parable that is included in all three synoptic gospels. So when the early writers of the Bible got together, they said, what are the things that we need to write down that Jesus said? This was one of the most important things. And it seems like from Jesus' posture that it's pretty important to him too. He starts it by saying, listen, pay attention. This is really important. And then he jumps in, verse 3. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. When the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they didn't bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So he uses this phrase, he uses it in more than one occasion, but he, he says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And basically what he's saying is, listen, I've just said something really important, but you're not all going to get it. So if you get it, awesome. If you don't, well, enter the disciples who often did not get what Jesus said. Look at what they do. Verse 10, when he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Now, he quotes, you'll see the quotes in your Bible there. He quotes this verse out of Isaiah chapter 6. And it's a verse where God selects Isaiah as a prophet. And he says, I have a message for you. I want you to take it to my people. But here's the thing, Isaiah, they're not going to listen. I know that. They're not going to listen because they're not ready to listen to this. And Jesus quotes that, and he says, hey, it's the same thing in this case. I am the Messiah. I am ushering in the kingdom of God, but I'm not the sort of Messiah that everyone is expecting, and this is not the sort of kingdom that everyone is wanting. And so I'm saying things, but they're not ready for it. 
And the reason, or, or what I do with that, Jesus says, is I, I teach them in parables so that those who are ready, they're kind of like, yeah, I think I get what he's doing. They can hear it, but those who aren't ready still don't know what's going on because his kingdom is going to be so different than the kingdom that they wanted. He didn't want them to know that yet. But Jesus wants his disciples to understand, so he starts walking them through in verse 13. Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? So again, this is foundational for Jesus. He says, the farmer sows the word. So the farmer would represent God, maybe, or perhaps Jesus. He's sowing the word. Um, he uses a Greek word here, logos. That's uh, the, what we always translate as word. We call our Bible the word of God, commonly in America. Back in the early days, the first followers of Jesus, that, that actually was what they called Jesus. He was the living logos. He was the living word of God. And so the farmer is scattering the seed. It's like this picture of God just like taking Jesus in his message and just like throwing it out. I don't know how a farmer scatters seed like this, I assume. Um, and he's just scattering it all out there. And what's beautiful about this picture is it tells us something really important about God. God is not a stingy God. God's not like taking one seed and he's like, I'm going to put that one right there. No, no, no. He's like, he's just throwing it to the wind and scattering it everywhere. Now, had the Pharisees understood this, this is why he's obscuring it through a story, they would have gotten really upset. Because what the Pharisees believed was that the Messiah in the kingdom of God was only for the devout people of Israel. And Jesus is saying that's not true at all. God is like throwing it to the wind. This kingdom is for anyone who will receive it. That's part of the point of the parable. It's uh, the striking picture of a generous God. But as striking as that picture is, it's not the main point of the parable. The main point of the parable is these soils. And it's these four different types of soils, which represent four different people who hear God's word, who hear about Jesus, hear about this kingdom stuff, and they respond to it in very different ways. And really what he's trying to answer is this. If God is generously putting Jesus out there, Jesus and his message out there for everyone, then why aren't more people embracing it? And why aren't more people growing spiritually? Have you ever wondered that? Well, Jesus is going to break it down for us. He says, this is why. Now, just to clarify, this is not a parable about who gets into heaven. I've read uh, lots of commentaries, lots of theologians on this. I, I'm confident of this. Jesus is not here intending to say that only the good soil gets to heaven. In fact, I think you could make a pretty good case that three out of these four soils get in, maybe even all of them. I don't know. But that's not what this parable is about. It is about how people respond to the message. That's what he's teaching us here. Why do some people hear this message and grow? And why do some of us hear this message and we struggle to grow? He's going to explain it. And what he's pointing us to ultimately is this, the softness of your heart. That's going to determine everything about your spiritual growth. He breaks it down. Look at verse 15. He's going to tell us one reason why people don't grow. He says, some people are like seed along the path. Where the word is sown, as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. That's kind of scary, right? Uh, like it's like this picture of Satan as a bird swooping in and just, ah, you know, maybe that's just terrifying to me. But um, 
It's a scary metaphor. The other thing that's scary about this is it's scary to think that Jesus' message would get out there and some people wouldn't even have a choice in it. They just instantly it would be gone and they wouldn't be able to embrace it. That's scary. How do we make sense of that? Well, I think one thing that we have to recognize here is that he is talking about specific people. He's not just saying generally. I think he's also saying generally, but he is talking here about the religious leaders, the teachers of the law, and the Pharisees. And what's true about those groups is Jesus never really had a chance to convince them. They were so confident. They were so sure of how they saw the world, how they saw the spiritual life, that when Jesus came on the scene and he said something, they just automatically dismissed it because they were so confident. To entertain what Jesus said, it meant that they would have to rethink everything, and they weren't willing to do that. Um, Jesus, he mentioned Satan. Uh, Biblically, Satan, his core sin is pride, right? And so I think Jesus is making a connection here between these people and this issue of pride, that they never gave his message a chance because of their pride. Isn't this what Susie was talking about last week in in her sermon? She said, sometimes those who should be the best positioned to understand the message of Jesus have the biggest hurdles to overcome. And that was true with all of these people, right? Because they were so proud and so confident, we see the world correctly. They had this enormous hurdle of pride to get over. You know, if you are convinced that you see the world in all the right ways, and like you just like cannot be shaken from that, it's going to be really hard to receive Jesus. Because remember, the softness of your heart determines everything about your spiritual growth. So this like well-worn path is a very hard path. Sometimes people are so convinced that they get it, that their heart is like that path. Certainly the Pharisees were like this, but I, we can be like this today, can't we? Um, I occasionally meet people like this, and I, like, I, always, I, I just want to pull them aside, and I, I want to say, like, really, like, like, you've never had a moment of self-doubt, like, just like, everyone who disagrees with you is an idiot, like, like you're just sure of that, like, there's never a moment you wake up, and you're like, maybe I'm the idiot, I don't, you know, no, <laughs> just so confident, I see the world correctly about all things, political, spiritual, whatever, I'm just confident, that is a very dangerous way to live. It's a very dangerous way to live, Jesus says, because people like that don't grow. The hardness of their heart cannot take in a message from Jesus that no matter who we are will force us to fundamentally rethink everything about our lives. So when we harden our heart and we're just so confident, it's really hard to hear a message that forces us to rethink that. That's the process for a lot of us of spiritual growth is rethinking our lives, but in this case, their heart is too hard for that. That's the first group that does not grow or struggles to grow. There's a second type, though. Look at verse 16. Jesus says there's another group that struggles. Uh, Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, They last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. 
So this is different. These are people, they're very interested in Jesus, aren't they? They're very interested in his message. But when they experience some trouble, when they experience just kind of like the unavoidable hardness of life, that's the Greek word he's using here for trouble. It's just kind of the, the, the yucky stuff in life. But it's also stuff that they experience because they're following Jesus that is hard. It's persecution. Jesus says they know him, they like him, but they don't have roots. And so when they experience that stuff, they don't grow. It limits their growth. And the reason seems to be that they've wrongly assumed in their heart that if they followed Jesus, then trouble and persecution would not be part of the deal. That's the, the assumption that they're operating under. I recently heard, I was listening to somebody talk about this and just how it impacted her life. And she said something, I, it was so humble and so honest and I instantly saw my face in it. She said this, I thought I had faith in Jesus, but when the trouble came, I learned that I really just had faith. It would never happen to me. Ouch. I mean, gosh, that so often is what I want to put my faith in. Jesus is telling us one of the reasons we don't grow could be because our heart hasn't come to terms with the fact that trouble and pain is going to be part of the deal. And it limits our growth. Jesus' message is good news, but it is not about avoiding trouble and pain. That's not what it's about. It's about transcending trouble and transcending pain because we have the presence of a loving God. Remember, the softness of your heart, it determines everything about your spiritual growth. So if we're looking back on our spiritual life and we see, gosh, there's some hardness there, or there's some bitterness because of things that God allowed me to experience, or because of things that God did not do, then I think we need to consider, if we see that in our lives, that at some point over the course of our lives, we may have assumed that Jesus came to save us from trouble. And that's really close to true, but it's not true. He didn't come to save us from trouble. He didn't come to eliminate the pain in our life. He came actually to experience it with us. He came so that we could find him in the midst of it. And listen, I know if you're experiencing a moment of deep pain in your life right now, that probably sounds like pretty tone deaf to you. Um, I'm sorry. I, I know those moments where we experience something and all we want is that it would stop. Right? Jesus knows those moments too. He has lived those moments and he is with you in that moment. That is what he has for us. His presence, his comfort, purpose in the midst of our pain. That's what he has. And I know Gosh, I know, like this is the human experience. There are days when that doesn't feel like it's enough. And yet still, he's with us. I think it's one of the hardest things about Jesus. Um, he would rather be with us in our pain than prevent it. It's hard to accept. But it's also one of the most beautiful things about Jesus, if we accept it. And I think sometimes we struggle to accept that, and our spiritual life withers because of it. But when we learn to be with him in our trouble, it's like our soil deepens and it softens, and we grow. There's a third type of person, though, who struggles. Someone who struggles to grow. Jesus explains it in verse 18. He says, still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. 
This is similar to the shallow soil. They hear the word, there's interest there, but worries and wealth and desires get in the way, and so they never experience real growth because of it. It's a picture of someone who's interested in God, but what they're most focused on is their unmet needs and their unmet desires. It's not just a rich person. This could be any socioeconomic background, but it's someone who believes that if God really loved me, then my needs would be met. If God really loved me, then my desires would be fulfilled. And so really their life is focused on those things. They worry about them, they pursue them, and it chokes out the spiritual growth that they could have. Um, This is the one that as soon as I read it and understood it, I was like, gosh, if this wasn't written for America, I don't know what is, right? I mean, we are the country who we coined the phrase, if you can dream it, you can achieve it. Well, that's not true. Like, that's not true, right? I, we, we invented the American dream in this country, right? The American dream is about having all of your unmet needs and unmet desires be fulfilled finally. We tend to be very focused on our needs and wants in this country. But if, if we're going to embrace Jesus, if we're going to follow him and we want to grow spiritually, then this is something that we have to accept and embrace. And I'll try to say it as gently as I can. Some of our needs will go unmet in this life. Like, you know that, right? Some of our needs are going to go unmet in this life. A significant number of them will. Significant to us, things we genuinely need that will go unmet. And many of our desires will not be fulfilled. And I know it sounds like I'm almost being mean. Like, to say that sounds like unholy to say that. But I'm, I'm not being mean. I'm just trying to be honest. And I know that there's, like, there's, I've read the Bible. Listen, I know there's verses out there that would suggest, no, God's going to give you the stuff that you want. Like, what about Psalm 37, 4? It says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you what? The desires of your heart. We love that verse. It's a bumper sticker verse. We love it. But read the psalm. You know what Psalm 37 is about? It is about being frustrated because bad people seem to prosper and good people have all of these unmet needs. That's what the psalm is about, but it's a lot harder to fit that sentiment on a pallet wood sign, you know? It's easier just to go with 37.4 because it makes you feel a lot better. Um, and I know, I, like, I, I know I'm sounding like cynical, unromantic, um, But I think Jesus is teaching us something we have to accept. If we are going to be Christ followers in a country with this much affluence, we have to accept this. If we start chasing the most fulfilling job, the most deeply loving marriage, the most connected family, the most secure financial portfolio, like the best friend group ever, then the chase of that type of fulfillment will crowd out our spiritual life and our spiritual growth. It will. And I don't want to be mean and I don't want to be cynical, but this is the truth. Your job will not always fulfill you. I'm sorry. Your marriage will not always be loving. I'm sorry. Your family's going to have problems. There's going to be a day uh, in your future where you take all the wealth you've accumulated and hand it off to somebody else. I'm sorry. And your friends are going to let you down. I'm sorry. I wish those things were not true. But when we accept those things, we, we can move past it and step into some spiritual growth. Jesus is saying, listen, as long as our heart is focused on pursuing that sort of fulfillment, 
There's not going to be a lot of space left over for the kingdom of God and for the Messiah, Jesus. Ultimately, I think he's saying our heart has to choose between his kingdom and our personal fulfillment. That's what this last soil, I think, is about. It's about a heart that receives Jesus and embraces Jesus. Look at verse 20. He says, others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. So our spiritual growth, our transformation as people, our discipleship, our closeness with God, our fruitfulness, all those words we use, it is not determined by how hard we work. It's not determined by how much we know. It's not determined by how passionate and excited we are about Jesus. It is the softness of our hearts that determines everything about our spiritual growth. Jesus says this good soil, it accepts the word. And he uses a Greek word there, paradekomai. Um, it just means to welcome or to embrace. This is a picture of ground that is ready it's soft, it's open, it's receptive. This ground, it lets the seed sink in. And that is why there's growth, because the softness of our hearts determines everything about our spiritual growth. Jesus says that's the secret to the kingdom of God. I'm not ready for everyone to know yet, but to my followers, that's the secret. Be relentlessly soft-hearted with God. There's a lot to learn here, right? There's some real important lessons in this. Let me just summarize a few of them. One is this, the path, there's a big lesson we've got to learn from the path. The path teaches us to not assume we are the ones who get it. That's a very dangerous way to live spiritually. We are not to assume we are the ones who get it, right? Uh, can we do an experiment? Um, I, I want to ask you, even if you don't want to, just do it anyway. Um, I want to ask you to repeat a phrase after me, okay? And the phrase is this. I'll give you the phrase. Just hold it in your head. Um, I am wrong about some of the things I believe. Could we just say that together? Say it with me. I am wrong about some of the things I believe. That was good. Can we say it one more time? That's not weakness. Let's just say it again. I am wrong about some of the things I believe. Some of you want me to say it one more time because you've never heard your spouse utter those words. <laughs> We're going to move on. Um, I, listen, that's not weakness. That's actually a spiritual virtue. It's called soft-heartedness, this awareness that there are some flaws in here, and I do not hold the truth here. I'm wrong about some of the things I believe. Some of us need to say that every day. We don't have to say it to another person. We can just say it to God himself. We need to say that every day, and we need to follow it up with a prayer that says, Jesus, teach me. Teach me where my heart is hard. Soften those places in me, because that's our only hope is that he does some work there. Here's a second lesson we need to learn. The shallow soil, that teaches us to not use Jesus to avoid suffering. The shallow soil teaches us not to use Jesus to avoid suffering. That's not why he came, right? He did not come to end our suffering. He came to enter into it. And I know this is hard, but he doesn't like our suffering. He didn't like his suffering, right? Some of us, we just need to let God off the hook because of those pains that we've experienced in our lives, those things that he's allowed us to feel. It's okay, we can follow him in the midst of that. 
He's entered into it with us. He didn't prevent it. He understands it. He's with us in it, and he grieves when we grieve, but he doesn't always prevent the trouble. Here's the third lesson, the thorny soil. It teaches us to not confuse our needs and desires with life in God's kingdom. I know you know this, but God's kingdom is not about personal fulfillment. Like, it's actually better than that. I mean, have you ever met someone who was personally fulfilled? Like, they got all their needs and wants fulfilled. They're miserable people, right? I mean, none of them are happy. They have so much money that they just do whatever they want, and they're miserable because of it, right? God's kingdom is better than personal fulfillment because God's kingdom is about redeeming each and every part of this entire world. And when we find ourselves in this kingdom of God and the redemptive process of God here on earth, it is better actually than getting what we want and what we need. It is. And I don't know how it works. I don't know why it is that way. But there's something about finding ourselves in God's redemptive plan on this earth that is better than having all your needs and wants met. It is. And the thorny soil teaches us that, not to confuse our needs and desires with life in God's kingdom. Lastly, the good soil, it just, it teaches us to be soft. The softness of our heart determines everything about our spiritual growth. It teaches us to be receptive. It teaches us to be easy to lead by him. It teaches us to be humble. You know, I could stand up here and tell you a whole bunch of things that you should do to grow spiritually. Um, I, God knows that I have tried a whole bunch of things. I have studied this for years. Without a doubt, what Jesus says here is the best thing I have ever heard about spiritual growth. He's right. It is the secret of the kingdom of God. If your heart is hard, if it's shallow, if it's distracted by all your wants and needs, it doesn't matter what you do. It's going to be really hard to grow. But the reverse is true. If your heart is soft, if it is receptive, if it welcomes direction from God, it doesn't matter what you do. It's going to be really hard not to grow spiritually. The softness of your heart will determine everything about your spiritual growth. What I want to suggest is, I, I think that is what God is calling us to. This whole idea of closeness with God that we, we all want to find. I think God is calling Pulpit Rock Church to be a soft-hearted place. I see that here. I see that in us. And I think we need to lean into it. Uh, if, if you're willing, I thought maybe we'd just end with just kind of praying together and asking God to do that. And I certainly don't want to manipulate you if you're like, I hate soft-heartedness. I hate it too. But um, if, if, you're, if you're looking at yourself saying, I could probably stand to be a little bit more soft-hearted. I, I want to ask if you'd pray with me. And would you just stand up with me? And I want to pray a prayer of soft-heartedness together with you. Here's how I thought we'd do this prayer. Um, I'll, I'll say a line and then I'll end it with, Together we pray, and then uh, you all can repeat this phrase, Lord, soften our hearts. So we'll repeat it together. So let's go to God and just ask this. Lord, we ask you to soften us to your word and your message. Together we pray, Lord, soften our hearts. Lord, to the ways that you want to lead us and direct us, Together we pray, Lord, soften our hearts. 
when our pride makes it hard for us to listen to you, Lord, we pray, Lord, soften our hearts. When we experience trouble, pain, persecution, together we pray, Lord, soften our hearts. When we become distracted by all of our unmet needs and our unmet desires, together we pray, Lord, soften our hearts. Towards all those we disagree with, together we pray, Lord, soften our hearts. Towards the people who are marginalized in the culture around us, together we pray, Lord, soften our hearts. Towards those of different ethnicities, together we pray, Lord, soften our hearts. Towards all the ways you want to stretch us to be more loving to the people you've put in our lives, together we pray, Lord, soften our hearts. Even, Lord, towards ourselves and how we view ourselves, together we pray, Lord, soften our hearts. God, soften our hearts in every way so that your message in us bears much fruit. We receive you. And together we pray, Lord, soften our hearts. Amen.